One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com. Looking ahead to Sunday's Conti Cup final between Arsenal and Chelsea. And a game, I think, uh, picking up in my kind of WhatsApp groups and my conversations with other Arsenal fans that I think there's a fair bit of trepidation is probably the word I'd use um, to describe how Arsenal fans are feeling about this one. Uh, so not sure how many people are going to listen to this particular <laughs> podcast, to be honest. I think a lot of Arsenal fans are trying to block it out um, and in, uh, are in a very we'll deal with it when it happens um, type thing, a bit like waiting for surgery or something. But um, I, I'm feeling a little bit more kind of um, excited and confident, maybe not confident, but more excited than that, certainly. And to look ahead uh, to that final, as ever, um, we've got with us the co-host of the Counterpress podcast and the London is Blue podcast, Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jesse, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back on. Absolute pleasure, um, and obviously we'll we'll get like a, a you know a bit of a Chelsea perspective from you. Um, but before we do that, obviously the the counter pressed podcast. I just wanted to give you a chance to plug it really because I know it's it's quite new, only just started. So what 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 and who is the counter pressed podcast? Yeah, so Counterpressed is a Flo Lloyd Hughes vehicle, uh, which I am, you know, I like to hang on to Flo's coattails, basically. Um, <laughs> and she has many vehicles, to be fair. She does, yeah. Uh, she drives a lot of, of, a lot of cars. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's um, Spotify producing it uh, with Flo as kind of the star, and then she's brought along me, she's brought along Becky Taylor-Gill, who some people might know, as well as Kate Longhurst, uh, West Ham player, and Julie Flatty, obviously a former Arsenal and Chelsea player. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of do a bit of a standard Monday roundup and then also doing Thursday episodes, which are a bit more fun and silly. So this week, for example, uh, just recorded it this morning, we we all had a go at reinventing the, the Conti Cup uh, oh, what wow. we do to to I I took quite a serious route and then uh, I got into the studio and everyone had come up with a lot more wacky ideas. Um, but yeah, so if anyone's looking for uh, silly ideas on how to make the Conti Cup more fun, uh, this week's Counterpress will will be for you. And that's a fantastic segue, actually, because that was going to be my first question, really, um, looking ahead to Sunday's game. Before we get into the the kind of um, the nuts and bolts of it, I mean, a lot of people have remarked on the fact that this is a final contested between two teams who didn't contest the group stage because of they were in the Champions League group stages and for... Uh, for those of you who don't know, listening, if you're in the Champions League group stages, you get a bye to the quarterfinal of the Conti Cup because basically the schedules don't line up um, for group stage. So Arsenal and Chelsea, both in that position, have both ended up in the final having played two games each. I mean, what are your your kind of views on that? Do you think there is an elegant way around that? I guess just like a big brain dump about what do we do with the Conti Cup? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I personally don't have a problem with it. I don't know if that's because I come at it from a Chelsea perspective and we seem to reach the final every year. Um, I think 
if I was going to be like totally cynical and realistic about it, I think whether Chelsea played the entire group stage or not, they would probably reach the final most yep. years, like they do with the FA Cup, where obviously teams kind of come in earlier. I think the group stage is a great opportunity, especially for championship teams to get to play against WSL sides, um, kind of not in a knockout format. And I think it's uh, the Conti Cup therefore serves a purpose at, at that lower level that it would regardless. And I think realistically, you also get the excitement when the bigger teams do come in. I think the fact that you've got a team like Manchester United not getting out of the group stage shows mm-hmm. it's not like a gimme. Um, but and equally, you know, most of the time, whoever reaches the final, I mean, Chelsea have done actually kind of pretty well out of the Conti Cup this year. But most of the time, whoever reaches the final has to beat a big a big team in inverted commas. So, you know, obviously mm. we'll beat City to get there. That's by no means an easy, easy match for, for a side. And equally, you know, if Chelsea are to win, they'll have to beat Arsenal and, and vice versa. I don't I don't really think it's something to, to be sniffed at in terms of playing those games. I just think it's the reality of the, the calendar at the moment. There might be ways mm. to shift it around, but I think what you would lose is, for example, that group stage and lower teams lower down the divisions getting an opportunity to play. I mean, I think for me, the biggest concern would be the fact that championship teams don't seem to take a huge interest in it. And I don't mm. know what that is. Maybe that's because they just think they've got no chance. But, you know, it wasn't so long ago that Bristol City made the final. OK, they got tonked. But, like, there's plenty, you know, in, in the same way that Everton have made FA Cup finals, West Ham made FA Cup finals in recent history. I just think the the bigger problem that people get frustrated about is that Chelsea, Arsenal, City, and maybe to a lesser extent United now dominate domestic competitions and for me that's a question that you have to ask other teams in the WSL not those clubs because the reason those clubs dominate is there's no you know secret formula they spend a lot of money and there are plenty of other clubs in the WSL who could also spend a lot of money you know I think it's like eight of the 12 clubs in the WSL are part of the 20 richest football teams in the world because that's Mm much money the Premier League makes and you know for me that's who you have to speak to if you want to make any cup cup competition or the league more exciting it's not really Chelsea or Arsenal or City yeah yeah I, I completely agree if Arsenal are to win this competition they'll be Aston Villa Manchester City and Chelsea that's like you know absent Man United those are the best teams in the country basically I think Villa are very much in that best of the rest kind of area so it's uh, you know regardless of who Arsenal I mean to be fair Arsenal didn't get through the group stage in 2020 they kind of chucked it a bit like United have this year and you know what United have got every right to chuck it if they want because I think they've got a good shot of winning the league if they want to so if I were a United fan I'd say yeah dump the Conti Cup in the bin because we've got bigger fish to fry and I think teams have the right to say that I think the other thing as well that people maybe don't realize is that they have pretty much done every like every format they've done straight knockout no one liked it because the finalists were always the same they're doing group stages no one likes it like like you say the the issue is inequality in in the WSL um, and women's football in England and regardless of what you do with the Conti Cup I think that's that's going to be that's going to be the the thing, and I, I think they're probably on the face of it would be a do we need the Conti Cup? But I, I, I kind of think we do because I think you do need those games. Uh, you know, 
the big teams do take it seriously by and large, um, particularly when, when it gets to the knockout kind of stage. So, you know, again, as an Arsenal, like if you've got like Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea in the division, like those three clubs, they want trophies. Um, Arsenal are gagging for this one on Sunday, I can tell you. And so, you know, having another opportunity to do that, I, I think you're right. I think basically what has to happen, this will become a better competition when other teams um, start spending a bit more money and catching up. But yeah, c- completely agree. It's just one of those issues in women's football that doesn't really have an elegant solution. And unfortunately, there are loads of those in women's football and it will probably take a bit of time. But let's let's um, kind of switch gears and look at... Um, well, I was going to say let's look at the final, but actually let's look back. Um, again, this is why this will have no listeners. <laughs> at the very recent game between the teams um, at Kings Meadow on Sunday, you wrote an interesting piece about this game. Um, I, I kind of hesitate to say countering the narrative, but very much, you know, completely... My, my question to Jonas was literally phrased as, is the story of this game that Chelsea were more clinical than Arsenal? And um, and that that kind of, like, I led him down a path when I asked him that question because he said yes, which I thought he'd say. But you you kind of wrote something, maybe semi-pushing back on that. And, uh, you know, your I guess your overall assessment of, of the game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was interesting to kind of see that narrative come out from Jonas because it certainly wasn't my perspective of the game. Now, I will say as a caveat that I was stood behind the goal Chelsea were attacking for the first half, which is where most of our, where most of Arsenal's chances were. So I think there was an element of obviously things feel less scary when you've got a weird perspective on them. But also then when I went back and, and watched the chances, I... I felt like they weren't maybe as as clear-cut as maybe they seemed at the time. And I think also what kind of struck me was that, yes, maybe Arsenal weren't as... Maybe Chelsea would have scored those chances, say, and it was just that, you know, Arsenal aren't in a run of great form when it comes to in front of goal. But I also just felt like the game for Chelsea ended after that second goal. So it felt like we were comparing Arsenal's chance creation over 90 minutes because logically they were pushing, well, supposedly they were pushing to the end. I mean, that kind of didn't really happen. A bit of a mental thing, I think a bit of a tactical shift from from Emma at halftime, which which she spoke about as well. Um, whereas, we, whereas Chelsea's chances, yeah, they, they played until they were 2-0 up and then were kind of like, well, we're happy to sort of sit back and chill out. Um, and that's kind of why I felt like this narrative that, that Jonas was saying, which was simply that, you know, we created enough chances to win this game didn't really feel accurate because I didn't feel like we'd seen a complete Chelsea performance as it were. Yeah, yeah. I think the chronology um, kind of matters. Like Chelsea didn't go 1-0 up massively against the run of play. Arsenal had created a couple of decent chances, but so had Chelsea. Like that, that didn't feel like, oh, this is against the run of play. Um, and, and I think you're right. This, the, second, the second goal killed it. I don't think there's a person in that stadium who thought that Arsenal could get back. Um, from 2-0 um, at that stage. Really for Arsenal, it's, it's the Stina Blackstenius chance where she kind of goes, that, that that's the real clear-cut one. And the fact that she literally misses the target and doesn't make Anne-Catherine Berger make a save has, um, was, you know, fairly stark. But uh, yeah, I agree. Like um, one of our listeners, and I think he will be listening to this, one of our listeners, Alistair, he said to me that 
like the game felt like a bit like when the men's teams played each other in that early Mourinho period where like Arsenal would come away and say, actually, we had this many shots, we had this much possession, we played quite well, but Didier Drogba scored twice. Um, but but it just happened like again and again and again <laughs> until you got to the point of saying, well, it's, it's clearly happening for a reason and it's not just bad luck. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a completely fair assessment. And I, I guess just overall, how do you assess Chelsea this season? Because from an Arsenal side, we're really looking at, like, we lost our two first-choice centre-halves for the first half of the season. We got them back and then we lost our two best attackers and we're coping with that. But actually, Chelsea have had players missing as well. Um, you know, Jisoo Yun, big, important player left in the summer. Melanie Leupold's not there. Harder and Kirby injured. Kind of Eriksen being phased out. Like, f- from the outside, it feels to me like this is a bit of a transition season for Chelsea. Is that how you felt? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think it's, it feels very hard to judge this Chelsea season right now. And maybe this month of March will kind of help formulate some of those opinions more because... I saw that fixture graphic. And again, as Arsenal fans, we've been going, bloody hell, we've got City back-to-back, Chelsea back-to-back. But do you just want to reel off Chelsea's fixtures for March? Yeah, so obviously got Arsenal at the weekend. Then we've got... Brighton midweek, United, we've got a FA Cup quarterfinal against Reading, then we go away to Leon, we play City, and then we're home to Leon. Before finishing off, I think just into April with Aston Villa. So it's, Punishing. it's a lot of games and it's a lot of top opponents. And I think what will be really interesting is how much Emma Hayes potentially not throws games necessarily, but sacks off the WSL to a certain extent in order to push for the Champions League because... Look, I think we all know that Chelsea have won more than enough WSLs to prove that they can do it and Emma Hayes wants to win the Champions League. Um, I think, therefore, how well Chelsea do in the Champions League will will make it clear how much this seems like a transition season. Because Mm. if Chelsea go on another run to the Champions League final, which, given that they would have to beat Lyon and Barcelona to do so, maybe feels unlikely. But, you know, hey, we're still in the competition. And while we're still in the competition, it could happen. Um, I don't think we'd look back on on this team in that way. But if not, I do I do agree. I think there has been a lot of changes. You know, the fact that we will maybe see Harder and Eriksson leave at the end of the season. Um, obviously, we've had kind of new players come in. I'm going to count Lauren James as coming in this season, yeah, um, yeah. given given last year. But Yelena Kankovic as well. Um, Eve Perisset is someone who's taken time to adjust. I think to to life in England and at Chelsea. But we're now seeing play more in more important games. All of these are players who I think we're going to see more of in the coming seasons. Um, And potentially we will end up looking back on this year as, you know, the start of a new kind of generation of Chelsea players. But that being said, I think there's also an element whereby maybe City's performances, what's happened to Arsenal this season in terms of injuries and form, has kind of left Chelsea sitting in a really good position domestically in a way that I think everyone would have forgiven them if it hadn't been the case. But now it's a bit like, well, yes, suddenly it does feel like we're actually expected to still win a domestic treble because we're top of the league and United are the closest challengers. And I would still worry, well, I would still expect that maybe United can't quite sustain this level all the way to the end of the season. We've knocked Arsenal out of the FA Cup and have a 
pretty easy quarterfinal and we're obviously about to play a, a Conti Cup final. So it's it been a bit, a bit of a strange one, I think, in, in that sense. Yeah, yeah. My, like one of my biggest frustrations for Arsenal this season is essentially I kind of thought Chelsea were there for the taking. Um, just losing Xi and Melanie Leupoltz at the same time and not getting that that like Grace Guerra or someone like that. For, for me, that's a temporary problem because A, Melanie Leupoltz is kind of back anyway or being eased back in and B, Chelsea are going to get that central midfielder at some point. Like I'm actually surprised it didn't happen in January. So I, I look at Chelsea and I think these are temporary kind of issues and I felt like um, this could be quite a good season for Arsenal to try and do it, but then we just keep losing everyone. You, you referenced it there. My next question was going to be basically, do, do you think Manchester United are the biggest threat um, for the title, As, especially given that they've they they dumped the Conti Cup. They're not in Europe. I mean, do do you see them as the biggest threat? I think it'd be silly not to see them as the biggest threat right now, just simply with points on the board and a number of games left. Um, I think if we were to beat them at Kings Meadow next week, I wouldn't really see them as a threat anymore. I think then it would be fully just Chelsea's to lose. And in that case, I kind of feel like it'd actually still be up in the air for any of United City or Arsenal. Because I do think, you know, it's easy to be very doom and gloom, I think, as, as a fan when you're like five points behind. But we've we've seen that these things can change very, very quickly. Um, and there are a lot of big games still to come. And more so than any other year, we've seen that that smaller teams will take points off of bigger teams. And I think there's more to come. I think my concern for United is that maybe the kind of distraction of the January transfer window and all the stuff around Rousseau, the fact that the Rousseau and Batia contracts are still up in the air, the way Skinner can't quite seem to build a squad as opposed to a starting mm. 11. It's those kind of things that I think as you get the pressure ramping up on you, that that's when the wobbles start. And I think we've already started to see the wobbles come from United. And that's mm. why I think if you look at, say, United and Chelsea, Chelsea, when they get to this point of the season, just turn on like autopilot it's crazy and it's just like it's not even about playing well anymore it's just like we win because that's what we do and I think when you don't have that experience you're always going to be at a disadvantage compared to a team who just are so used to rolling through the end of the fixture list that's not to say that I think like Chelsea will win the league as I say I, I just think if Chelsea chose from here that they wanted to win the league they would I just yeah, yeah. Think realistically looking at the fixtures, they might not be able to make that choice or they might choose to put emphasis elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. You, you hit on a few things with United there. I think they've averaged the fewest starting lineup changes. And I think certainly in the top five, they've got the fewest substitutions. And I know that's a bone of contention for for United fans. And, and it's that kind of, it's, it's striking that balance between the continuity has got them to this point. Um, but again, I'm going to make the comparison with Arsenal men here. Like Arsenal men have done something very similar, had a very, very settled starting lineup. Then they hit a wall because they became predictable. And just recently, they've been able to just tweak a few things. And it's like, can United do that? But also, like, 
if United had, I, I appreciate they played without Russo for a bit at the beginning of the season. I think if they lose like Toon, Russo, uh, if they l- lose one of those big players from the spine of their team, I, I just don't think they can replace them. Like if they had anything similar to Arsenal or Chelsea, like I, th- I think they'd be kind of miles out, which is fine because they're in a building phase and, you know, the squad kind of tends to come later. But I think it depends on them um, keeping everyone fit at the same time a bit like Arsenal men, I'm looking at United and I'm thinking there might be a one-year window for you guys to win the league. And this is probably it because Chelsea will sort that midfield out. Meadham, Meadham will come back. Like these are like these teams, their competitors, I think are are facing like temporary issues. So I kind of think they are, Um, but I think it it depends on a, on a few things and the underlying numbers, I don't think look brilliant for them in terms of um, being champions. But anyway, that's enough about Man United. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like switching gear and and really looking at Sunday's game now on on Sunday in the FA cup, uh, Chelsea didn't start with uh, Buchanan because of international duty, uh, presumably um, and started with, uh, is it, Sankovic, Kankovic, Yankovic? Yeah, Kankovic. Kankovic, right. Um, in midfield, another player that Arsenal wanted. Um, are, are you expect like, what are the changes? Are, are you expecting any changes, um, you know, perhaps in those two? I mean, it seems pretty straightforward to me that Buchanan will come back into the team for Ericsson. What about um, Kankovic? Do you think she'll stay in or do you think we'll see uh, Fleming or, or someone else come in? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I feel pretty sure that Trankovic will start, but I don't know because I personally just am not a fan of Jesse Fleming as the 10 at all. I just don't think she has the kind of attacking emphasis that Chelsea really need from a 10. But I think Emma Hayes sees her as a safe pair of hands. I don't know whether that's because she's been waiting for Chankovic to get up to speed and maybe now she feels like she's there. I certainly think that we've seen the Chankovic-Kerr partnership work very well against Arsenal, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, So to that extent, I think I personally would keep that kind of front four of Wright and Kerr, James and Chankovic the same. Probably Cuthbert and Ingle as well because there's no one really else to play in midfield. I find it hard to imagine Leupolz is kind of coming back for this one. Yeah, I agree. I think Buchanan will come back in. I think, you know, when we're looking at the chances that Arsenal got, it came from that kind of space in behind. And I don't think Ericsson is great at defending space 
in that way. She's certainly not a speedy player. And I don't think Buchanan is either, really. But I think she's better at kind of understanding when to step in, when to step back, how to work with Millie Bright. Um, and just generally, I think her recovery play is a lot better. Whereas we saw, you know, with that Blackstenia's chance, how kind of easy she found it to get her body in front of Ericsson and then use her physicality to to ensure that she went clear. Um, but that that doesn't mean I don't think Ericsson will start on the bench necessarily, because I do think there's a fullback spot up for grabs just yep. because I don't. I can't watch Neve Charles play against Caitlin Ball anymore. <laughs> and I really hope Emma Hayes is on the same page. That was the thing that surprised me most on Sunday, that there was that 10-minute period at the end of the first half where Ford and McCabe had switched sides and Ford was up against Neve Charles and it was just like being back at the Emirates. Like, she just had her for toast. And I don't know why Jonas didn't persist with it because I was literally there at half time. like, we need to change this now. Um, yep. So... I think Charles is clearly viewed by Hayes as the most attacking fullback that we have. But for me, I think whether it's Magda Eriksson or Jess Carter, I personally would just use that as an opportunity to shut down what really was Arsenal's kind of most threatening um, attacking thrust in both the Emirates game and the game on Sunday. I mean, I don't, I don't know if she will, but that, like, that for me is what like the change I would make. Yeah, yeah. And Arsenal, at the game at the Emirates, Arsenal really targeted, it was Chelsea's right-hand side where Neve Charles was right back, Lauren James was right wing. It, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to to work out why something like 65% of Arsenal's attacks went down that side on that day. There was clearly a discussion about, we'll get more change out of this side than we will going on the other side. And obviously, that's where Emma made the change. Um, during that game that was very effective, going to a back three and bringing Eva Perisette on. I mean, I, I guess from a... Ch- like, if if I were Chelsea and I was sure that Caitlin... Because Arsenal basically don't really know what they're doing on the right wing at the moment, which actually makes it very... Maybe makes it difficult to plan for. Um, but if I thought Caitlin Ford was going to... I mean, I'd be playing Jess Carter all day long just because I know maybe she doesn't add an awful lot more but I think she's one of the best like one-on-one defenders in the league there's like, a reason the why Lauren Hemp says Jess Carter's like the hardest defender she's had to play against and if Lauren yes. Hemp's saying that like I'm taking Jess Carter to do my 1v1 defending all day long yeah absolutely and in the FA Cup final last year you know Jess Carter played in the middle of a back three I think and that was I mean she basically marked Vivian Miedema and she did it better than anyone else I've seen try to do that so you know, but like I said, it, it's not clear. Like if Arsenal play Katie McCabe on the right, um, she's not going to come into contact with the left back because she's not going to go down there. So it, there's a little element of cat and mouse, I think, in that area of the pitch. Uh, and I, I don't, for my part, in terms of Arsenal, there aren't many changes they can make, I don't think. But that right wing, that's always the one when the Arsenal team sheet goes comes out. That's the one I look at because all the other... Sometimes Maritz and Wienreuter swap around a bit, but really the team kind of picks itself except for that spot. And sometimes even when you see the team sheet, if it's McCabe and Ford, it's like, well, I don't know who's playing on the right at this stage. I've got a sneaky feeling Victoria Pullova um, might start on the right on this occasion just for the sake of variety and trying something else. But um, yeah, like the, the Arsenal team, I think, I think 10 of those positions maybe even certainly nine really pick themselves. Um, so I, I think like 
that part of the team sheet, what Chelsea do at left back compared to what Arsenal do on the right wing is is potentially the most interesting. But we brought up uh, Kadaisha Buchanan there. Um, what's your kind of your assessment of her so far? I know there's been her and Millie Bright swap sides, right? Um, which is really weird because I just massively associate Millie Bright with with being the right centre back. How's what what's Buchanan brought to Chelsea? Yeah, I think it's definitely been a kind of mixed experience to her for her. But I think in ter- that switch was a was a massive game changer. I feel like she never looked truly comfortable the other way around we saw her conceding penalties and like just getting in all kinds of messes because I felt like she didn't she just didn't seem comfortable it wasn't necessarily that she was doing stuff wrong it was just that kind of energy defenders have where they make mistakes because you know almost like they're overthinking it Mm. and I think initially I was like I don't know if it makes sense to switch back, because for me, Millie Bright has been like what the one of the world's best right-sided centre-backs over the past season. But I also think it's testament to how far Bright has come as a defender that I don't think it's really affected her switching back. I think it helps that a lot of the time, especially if Ericsson or Carter are playing as the left-back, Chelsea do go very fluidly into a three. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, Millie Bright would kind of become the the central centre-back, as it were, um, especially in possession. But I think Buchanan has brought a lot more of a forward-footed, almost playmaker style of defence. I think something that we maybe saw from Magda Eriksson a couple of seasons ago, but I think recently she hasn't quite been as good at in terms of stepping forward with the ball and kind of choosing to draw defenders Uh, choosing to draw attackers onto her, being willing to kind of take an attacker on and go past them, um, which I think is obviously something that in terms of like baiting the press really suits Chelsea, especially because they, we don't really have that kind of strong creative midfield player. Like lots Mm. of our midfield players are kind of in the more like destroyer uh, mode when you think about like what Aaron Cuthbert and what Sophie Ingle want to do. So I think to have a centre-back who's kind of willing to take away players from the midfield to open up the space um, to, to allow different passing angles is, is probably where Buchanan's offered the most. I think there's also just a sense as well of, of you know, like she's another winner and yeah. there's an element of it's just like constantly packing the team with players who are like win or die, you know? Yeah. And I think Chelsea were really lacking players who had that, Champions League experience and and I think that was like a really important thing because Hayes has seen over the years that the more winners you put in the team almost the more you win even when they don't necessarily all fit together which I think we all know that that Chelsea haven't necessarily built a team that, that is a perfect fit but it's about being a bit like well you know if we kind of roll the dice no matter what we trust these players kind of within the system to come up with the solutions because that's what they've done for their entire career. And I think that's the profile of player that, that Buchanan is. Yeah, yeah. My, my kind of back of the cigarette packet um, kind of uh, assessment of, of the Chelsea games I've seen is that Chelsea miss their midfield out, basically, in build-up. Because, as you say, they don't have that kind of, you know, I, I guess from an Arsenal perspective, they don't have that like Kim Little or Leo Volti type. And, and my 
back of the cigarette packet kind of simple assessment is they want to get the ball to right and then James and either Millie Bright will smash it over there or Buchanan will dribble it over there. And that's kind of how Chelsea build up. Um, and and yeah, like you you definitely you notice it how much Buchanan like drives the ball out of out of centre half and having that like pairing um I, I think is very interesting for Chelsea. Even if I think you're right, we, we certainly haven't seen peak Buchanan at Chelsea yet, but I kind of think we will potentially maybe when those fullback spots become a little bit more nailed down. But, you know, from, from um, you know, a Chelsea perspective, how do you assess Arsenal as opponents for Sunday? And I'm going to say it because it's what everyone's thinking, <laughs> their recent troubles. Um, and, and I think it's right that we frame it that way because uh, the standards of the club are very high, as they should be. Um, but yeah, how, how do you assess... Like Arsenal are going through some things is the, is the way I'd phrase it at the moment. How do you kind of assess that? Yeah, I mean, looking at Arsenal just generally before before talking about looking at the game specifically, I think obviously Arsenal losing Mida Miedema has been a massive blow. And I think it would be hard for, for many clubs to get over that. I do feel like the amount of focus on the two of them has become quite outsized. And I also think that I'm kind of surprised there's not been more questions asked of Jonas. Um, I think, I mean, it's testament to him that it seems that there's still so much goodwill around him. You know, it feels like there's a lot more criticism for Claire Wheatley, for example. Um, But for me, this Arsenal squad still should be, I think, good enough to be playing at a higher level than they are right now. I think there's also an extent where it feels like there's a real lack of belief in the squad, which again, I don't know whether that's because, you know, I mean, I think Viv especially is someone who clearly looks for incredibly high standards and losing that person, not just from the pitch, but from from the dressing room and everything around that, I think is maybe something that hasn't been talked about as much, you know, as like her on-field attributes. Um, but I feel like I, I didn't really understand what Jonas was entirely trying to do at points this season, even before Mead and Miedemar got injured. Um, yeah. You know, I'm still not sure about the kind of Miedemar, Blackstenius partnership. I understand it in theory, but when Blackstenius, I don't think it's like performing at quite the level that was expected of her, it felt bizarre to then have Miedemar just kind of sitting behind her and then Frieda Marnham just floating around when she looked really good in the position, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. It is very hard when there are have been like lots of injuries that to solely say what the one issue is, mm. but I still feel like, I personally, if I was an Arsenal fan, would have expected more from Jonas in finding solutions to the injuries than I feel like he has so far. Yeah. That being said, looking ahead to Sunday, like, look, this is still an Arsenal team with lots of very, very talented players. And, you know, especially, I think if if we ignore the Sunday FA Cup game, because I felt like it was just quite flat kind of from both teams and go back to the Emirates game, Arsenal have shown that they can rattle Chelsea, um, even if they didn't win. I feel like they cre- that was actually the game where I feel like they created enough to win. Um, yeah, yeah. Mainly because I felt like Chelsea created nothing until the, the well, there's the Magda Eriksson header and then the Sam Kerr opportunity, but you know, both of them in the last 15 minutes of the game. So I felt like Arsenal did really well to kind of suffocate Chelsea. I mean, I thought 
players like Aaron Cuthbert just had an awful day themselves. But so I'm not going to go into this game and be like, oh, Chelsea are like 100% favourites because I just think when you've got players of, of Arsenal's quality, um, you, you would you would be stupid to totally write them off. The, the thing that made me feel worried from an Arsenal perspective on Sunday was the last half hour of the game. Yeah. Because to me, I was just like, this is the FA Cup. You're 2-0 down. But if you get one goal back, you only need one more goal to force extra time. And like, this is one of your best opportunities of silverware to like knock Chelsea out and then go like go on a run towards the FA Cup final. And it just felt like no one in the team believed they could come back from two goals down against Chelsea, which is just ridiculous, really. Because we mm. Chelsea are a team who, like, for all of the mentality monsters stuff, like well, they do, nearly did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That they when they concede, they do get nervy. You know, like look look at the Wolfsburg game last year, right? Like Chelsea just needed to not lose by more than two goals, and they they go and lose four 0 like. And that's what I thought was a shame was I just felt like there was no one on Arsenal's team on the pitch saying like, we've got this, like, let's just go gung ho. Like, let's just blow it up. Like if we lose three or four nil, okay, maybe you're like, oh, that's like embarrassing. We've got the Conti Cup final next week, but just to show a bit more passion maybe. And I think that's where I'm like, oof. There's, there is definitely, like you referenced the difference between the game between the teams in January and the game on Sunday. Like Arsenal had all the same injury problems in January. It was a much better performance. They still weren't really clinical enough, but it was much better. Um, and I think you can see that that there's like there's low confidence in this team. I completely agree. Once we went to 2-0, you know, I asked, well, they, they hit the post that time, but like... I think you're right. Like nobody, but you can see it in the team. Like nobody believed that they could score one, let alone two. And I, I think you can see that there is, there is kind of low confidence. Um, and and Jonas, he referenced something after the City game when we got it back to two one. Arsenal didn't have another. Well, they had one block shot after that in 32 minutes. And he referenced. He said he was very disappointed in that because. They'd got rid of the back three at halftime. They'd stabilised the game. They stopped coming on under pressure. They got back into the game and then they didn't do anything. And he said he was very disappointed in that. I, I, I kind of, I, I think there's a lot of truth in, in your kind of assessment there, not least because, like for me, I really like Jonas as a, as a tactical coach. I think, I think he has like really good ideas about the game. Personally, I'm more predisposed to, towards like the counter-pressing style than the possession style we had under Joe Montemoro. So maybe I do see it like slightly more lightly. But for me, the recruitment just looks a bit jumbled um, sometimes. Like I, I kind of look at it now and I know obviously you need like a big squad and things like that. But I'm like, what do we do with Predomanum when Vivian Meadham is fit again? And... Pelova and cool and when we didn't get JC in the summer we bought Lena Hertig who's a completely different player like I do think the recruitment looks a little bit jumbled like we tried to buy Yelena Sankovic and you're like but we were and she's a really good player but I was a bit like we already have quite a lot of players quite like that like how would Sankovic and Marnham had been in the, do you know what I mean like I and and I don't I, I don't entirely know 
who's responsible for that, whether there is like an issue behind the scenes in identifying talent or whatever. I, I don't really know, but like I, I like Jonas the coach a lot, um, but I do wonder a bit about the kind of the player selection um, in the market. And yeah, I, I don't know exactly whose fault that is. I, I think overall Arsenal are missing Beth Mead a lot more than Miedema because... That was Freedom the profile of player I was most surprised that yeah. Arsenal didn't go for in, yeah. in January. That it's, just the wing, even even in the summer, that was the profile of player that I thought Arsenal. You know, like the interest around Canarred, that made perfect sense to me. I'm like, yeah. that would have been, I think, a great fit for Arsenal. I, it just felt like it was always clear that Beth Mead was going to need a, a backup, and okay, no one could know that it was going to be, you know, to the extent that it has been. But even so, she was coming off a, a Euros where she played a massive amount of minutes um, uh, after another busy season. And, and Arsenal didn't have another uh, winger who was going to be able to, to sit behind her. So I think not to address that in the summer or in January felt yeah. really bizarre. In, in January, like Chloe Lacasse was, uh, well, Dabinia was the, the obvious target. Chloe Lacasse was a big target and a, and a player Arsenal basically thought they had. And she she's quite well. I've only really seen her goals, but they're quite meadish. Like she's mm. good at dribbling in from the. But like the problem is, again, I'm going to make the comparison to the men's team. It's a bit like Saka. Like you look at the men's squad. We we don't even know who'd play on the right if Saka got injured, and it's the same with Beth Mitt. Like that's just that's a risk that Arsenal were always carrying. And it's been exposed because we have players that can play on the right, but they're all completely different and it necessitates a total shift. And uh, yeah, I, I sense with the onus, like I ask him about this a lot in terms of particularly on that right-hand side. And I sense that with the whole attacking issue, he's try he doesn't want it to become a big thing because it's become a bit of a psychological thing um as well and I, and I think he's trying like he was saying after the game on Sunday like look what I want the players to do is just keep going like keep doing what they're doing trusting themselves not overthinking things and I think he's trying to keep things light and airy and I think that's because there's there's kind of a loss of confidence but um and on on that cheery note um my, my kind of last question was whether you think and I didn't know how to phrase this, whether Arsenal have a psychological block against Chelsea because like, they are closer, the two teams, than the results in the individual games suggest. But Chelsea have massively had the, the upper hand for several years now. If it's not even like an Arsenal psychological block, do you sense that Chelsea have a psychological superiority um, in these games? Maybe, maybe as a result of that kind of muscle memory you were referring to earlier. Yeah, I mean, one win in 13 for Arsenal against Chelsea is just... Pfft. Yeah. I, I mean, that. I feel like in some ways that sums it up. What I will say is, that, like, I've, I've just written a, a preview for the, the final, um, for the offside rule, which I guess will come out tomorrow. But um, Chelsea haven't beaten an Eidevold team in the WSL yet. Mm. So I do think there's a difference when we're talking about the maybe psychological matchup between these two teams from league games and from cup games. And I think it's the cup element that I think Arsenal particularly struggle with against Chelsea, because I just feel like when Chelsea get, and I don't even necessarily think it's an Arsenal thing per se. I think it's more a Chelsea that Chelsea just have 
this feeling a lot of the time. I mean, last year's Conti Cup final as the notable exception, but that they will do whatever and they just believe that they will win a knockout cup game against domestic competition. And I think in the league, it's a bit different because also generally Chelsea are more like, well, we're less worried about, you know, winning because if we don't have to, we'd prefer not to lose. And maybe that's why we've seen more draws between Arsenal and Chelsea in the league. Um, but I just think, yeah, Chelsea have a psychological superiori- superiority, not just over Arsenal, but <laughs> over every English team, realistically, mm-hmm. in terms of just being like, we're going to win this because that's what we do. Um, I don't think it helps, obviously, from from Arsenal's perspective as well, that it's been so long since they've won anything. And, you know, yeah. in some ways, maybe they have could have done with some luck along the way around not having to face off against Chelsea, for example, for, for, for competitions, um, you know, getting Chelsea knocked out somewhere along the line and, and yeah. kind of trying to get there another way. But that's, that's the problem. It's like how many of that team like don't have that experience of winning. And I think again, that I'm loath to go too big on the psychological stuff because I do yeah, think yeah. the tactics matters But I think, you know, like Chelsea win a lot of things by fine margins. But it's like you said earlier. And it's not a coincidence. When it keeps happening, it's Mm. not a coincidence, you know. Like there is something else going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I agree with that entirely in terms of Arsenal having a mental block in the cup games against Chelsea. And I said at the beginning of the season, one of the reasons this game on Sunday matters so much to me is because at the beginning of the season, I was like, Arsenal have to win something this year. Conti Cup, FA, like whatever, they have to like. And I think it's necessary for the belief in the squad to do that, like by hook or by crook, whichever competition it happens to be. And and I think that you're right. Like when it comes to like the, the reason, basically Arsenal haven't won anything in four years is Chelsea. It's, it's pretty much always Chelsea that knocks them out or they get Chelsea in a final or whatever. Like Arsenal don't have that against city. Like it's gone both ways. We've lost to city in cup games. We've beaten that. It's very give and take Arsenal city in the cup. Arsenal Chelsea is not. And I think Arsenal just view Chelsea as like, like the final boss, basically, in a video game that you can't complete <laughs> because that that because you can't get that final boss. So that's that's what it feels like to me. And that's what that's you know, just in closing, that's why I think this game is so much bigger for Arsenal than it is for Chelsea, because I think it would just be such a relief for them to get that trophy, you know, to kill that final boss. Um and and you know I think Arsenal season could hinge on it. I really do. Whereas I don't with Chelsea. Like I don't get the sense, like last year's Conti Cup final, um, and and you know, I don't get this. I, I get the sense that Chelsea would obviously go home very unhappy, but the next day they'd be back on it, and it probably wouldn't massively impact them. Whereas Arsenal, I, I do feel like it's a bit more of a knife edge. But in closing, I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Uh, for Sunday because I know you love it when I do that (laughs) yeah Uh, so I think what I've landed on is I hate to say this because I feel like I'm drinking it but I do think Chelsea will win Um, but I'm going to go 2-1 with an extra time Sam Kerr winner because that just feels inevitable (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and do you know what's like a, a penalty shootout is like is really really overdue. Um, I oh, think, but I can't, Tim. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, well, we we lost our lost uh, in a Conti Cup final against City actually on penalties, but so not really happy memories for us there either. And even even Kim Little missed in that shootout, so that that definitely wasn't Arsenal's day. But Jesse, thanks uh, so much. Um, I'm not going to say good luck on Sunday because I absolutely don't mean it. Um, but it's it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always great to chat. And you can and should follow Jesse on Twitter at Jesse with a Y, J-P-H. Um, and they talk about not just Chelsea, but all things women's football and WSL and Women's Champions League and, and everything like that. And you can catch Jesse on the Counter Press podcast, the Box to Box podcast with our own Alex Ibiseta as well on Opta um, and 442 magazine and loads of great places. So you should absolutely do that. Um, we will be back with another podcast uh, probably towards the end of next week. Um, we've half recorded something that we're we're quite excited about, about the improvement in the atmosphere at Meadow Park this season. Um, so we've been talking to people around that. That should be ready to go at the end of next week. But um, until then, if you're going on Sunday or if you're not, or if you're watching or whatever, um, try and enjoy it. None of us will, but let's see what happens and we'll speak to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.